This episode of Today, Maybe Forever is presented in collaboration with the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs. This is Today, Maybe Forever. I'm Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with photographer, photojournalist, photographic artist, Sheila Prebright. How are you? I'm doing fine, Floyd. How are you? I'm doing very well. So glad to have some time with you today. We are in Gallery 72 uh, here with, with the city of Atlanta, and the current exhibition is entitled Rusty Miller, The Compassionate Eye in Forgotten Atlanta. I would like to know, what's the first thing you shot when you got to Atlanta? Vine City and didn't know anything about Vine City. I went into the community. And that was it? And that was it. Just wandering in? Wandering in. <laughs> <laughs> and that was in the year 2000, 99. I think it's 1999 or 2000 when I came to Atlanta, yes. After seeing this exhibition for the first time and thinking about people who I wanted to have in conversation about this work, you were at the top of my list because I think about the word compassion and I think about um, the word forgotten and people who may be overlooked right. um, in communities. And I feel like a lot of your work, while maybe not dealing with that directly, there is some overlap, I think, in in what you choose to, to focus your camera on. So I would love for you to maybe talk about your response to the work that you've seen today. Well, my response to the work, um, I think is very compassionate. Um, I see a community that has been muted and not their voices. And what I really get from this work is that how nothing has changed. Because from my readings and research of, of the photographer, Rusty Miller, he's a white male, um, lived in Buckhead, and basically that's all I know about him. And it seemed like he had a compassion to go into the neighborhoods to talk about it. But at one point, what do you do with this work, okay? Because I know at the time they were, if I could say it like this, gentrification, correct? And they were, what were they building? Um, they were building the, well, in, in some of these photographs, they were about to build Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Right. Mm -hmm. And were these images used at that time for a social documentary where it would show people of how they were living and maybe they would not become displaced? I don't know that. Mm. So for me, it is, it's beautiful work. But it's like, when it comes to black bodies, I do believe that we have learned of ourselves through the lens of the white male narrative, okay? And how can we move forward with this? Because a lot of my, my work is about claiming our narrative. A lot of people talk about reclaiming the narrative. What is there to reclaim because of what we have if I could say it like this, um, through the lenses of others, we've seen ourselves. So I'm claiming the work now and use it for a call for action. And it's nice that this work is here, but in the future, what is it going to be used for? Because I, that's why I say what has changed. You know, the aesthetic and the imagery 
may look different, but Atlanta is number one in income equality. When are we going to progress with that? Mm. And to go a step further, if you were to go into certain neighborhoods in Atlanta, it may look like a 2018 version of what we see in these photographs, Correct. but you'll still see some of something close to the same level of poverty and um, maybe even when it comes to housing structures, not that much advancement in what we may be witnessing in some of these photographs. So mm-hmm. when you think about this term, you know, this notion of, of claiming it and maybe even documenting it, when you see the work, when you see, no, when you see the subjects, when you go into certain neighborhoods and you see this, and your response is to capture it, what do you hope happens with the viewer or anyone who, who may see what you're capturing? I'm gonna bring it up to today's time. Okay. This type of work and the work that's still being shown of, of black bodies when it goes into, when, when someone comes into marginalized communities, I think we as a society have become numb to it. So what are we doing? I question myself with that. I choose not to go into the neighborhoods because I've been in the neighborhoods. When I first came to Atlanta, I, um, I didn't know anything about Atlanta and I went into Vine City, the bluff, and I started documenting the um, community. And there's one gentleman that I photographed that he was talking about how every time when he walked out his door, he would see the city buildings and it's like it's pushing them out. And this was in 2000. So I, I as an artist, as a photographic artist, I want to, I'm questioning myself if I go into these neighborhoods because I'm reinforcing the same type of imagery. So how can we elevate this? Because we see images like this all the time, you know? And it's, it's, it's overturning and overturning and overturning. It's like, it's just perpetual. But how can we move forward? So let's, let's maybe dive deeper into that. What does moving forward look like in terms of getting anyone or the right people at the table, at, not even at the, the, the table, because we kind of overused that right. phrase, but, <laughs> but if someone sees this work, if someone, whether it's the mayor, whether it's a city council person, whether it's a neighbor, if someone sees this work, and not even this work, Miller's work, your work, anyone's work, what should that next response be? Is it, is it community action? Is it a letter? Is it a protest? I'm not, I, I guess I'm just trying, I'm trying to figure no, I, out. I, I, like I understand. I, I don't think a lot of people know that now because we're so inundated with imagery and bombarded. Like I said before, we become numb to it. And the question is, how do we move forward? Nobody, to me, is so simple for us to come collectively together, you know, as a people, because it's the people, the people really have the power to make the change. Because we've seen images like this throughout the um, generations, okay? But what has changed and what can we change? I, um, I actually, um, there's a photographer back in the 1800, his name is Jacob Rees, have you heard of him? Jacob Rees, no yeah, I've not. R-I-I-S. And he did a body of work. He was a social documentary um, person. He wanted social reform. 
And he went into New York and photographed the slums of New York. And a lot of it was um, young kids, okay? And he was actually able to change something back then. But when you see imagery of black bodies, and I'll take it up to now where, where we talk about Black Lives Matter and the protest, do anybody really care? Do anybody really care? So the question is, how do we move forward? We all know what the issues are. We already know that it's um, gentrification, police brutality, mass incarceration, the immigrants, Muslim. We know what the issues are, but how can we as a nation come together collectively to sort out these deep-rooted questions? You know, because America is actually, and you know this, Floyd, that it's rooted in racism, and that's how it keeps each individual individuals divided, okay? So the question is, how do we move forward? You know, we got to take one step at a time, but if we constantly coming to the table, and me as a photographer, or photo, like for example, showing these type of imagery, how do we move forward? We could talk about it, but what are the answers? Are we really want to move forward? So let me ask you about not specifically anyone in these images, right. but thinking about the communities that are uh, that are are documented. Right. When we think about the level of agency that someone may have to affect their their neighborhoods, to to talk to their officials, to talk to their neighbors, sometimes it's almost as if people maybe underestimate the amount of agency that they actually have to start something. So you talk about what are we going to do, right? I think a lot of people may sit back and ask, what are we going to do without realizing that they're the ones who can do something, even if it means just going next door to your neighbor, asking if they're okay, asking how they feel about what's affecting them, and then saying, hey, let's come together, let's ask other neighbors. So it almost feels as though we don't realize our own level of, of influence and power, but I don't know how to unlock that in individuals. It's hard. I'm, I'm questioning that myself. It's hard. I mean, I, I talk to, I do a lot of lecturing right now, and what I have come for me as an artist is that I feel that I'm the messenger, and I'm giving it to you. Either you accept it or reject it. And if I could change one person, then that we can move forward with that. It's just like, for example, you know, Tef Poe and Rapper and Ferguson, and they had the voting yesterday, right? And he was heavily on his um, Instagram account telling everybody you need to get out there and vote because we got to get out the, the, the prosecutor um, that didn't prosecute the police officer with um, Michael Brown Mm. and he was heavily promoting it heavily promoting it and guess what the people came out to vote and they got their first I believe it's the first I'm not quite sure um, prosecutor that's African American male and got the other guy out of office so it goes to show you that if people I don't like the word woke because I think that if we were really woke, we would come together collectively, you know? But I think that's what we need to, need to do. I mean, I've experienced a lot of um, 
I experienced a lot when I was photographing um, the 1960 Now Project. And there's some stories that I could tell you that's unbelievable, but it's real. So it changed me as a person. And I feel that I, as an artist, because I never looked at myself as an activist, I look at myself as an actionist, mm, where okay. I'm taking the action to try to help in my own way, okay? So it's, it's, that's a big question. So you, you, you mentioned Ferguson, you mentioned 1960 Now, and I want to maybe ask you to delve deeper into what you see in other communities because you've traveled a lot right. and you're based in Atlanta, but you have had the chance to talk with um, and in other communities. And I'm, I'm curious about the, the narratives that you hear or maybe the energy that you hear um, or maybe the, the call to actions that you hear in, 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 in other places. How do those compare to what you hear or see in Atlanta? You know, coming, um, they always say that Atlanta is the home of the civil rights movement and they really accomplished a lot in the 60s. I don't know because I wasn't raised uh, or, or raised in Atlanta, is that the African American community has come kind of like passive to a certain extent. And let me let me frame that, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I was in Ferguson. I was in Baltimore. Those young people are very, very aggressive. They were protesting 24-7 nonstop. They don't have anything to lose. I think in Atlanta, if I compare it, if I can compare it, they are protesting, but it's a little bit different. It's, they're they're, they're protesting, but I I can't explain it. To me, it's it's more of a a drive. I don't know if, if that's a lack of better words to say with that. But when Ferguson, you could feel the tension in the air. In Baltimore, you could feel the tension in the air. It's like a bubbling. In Baton Rouge, you could feel the tension in the air. I saw, I saw, I saw the pain. I saw the hurt. I saw it all. Okay, so I think because this is the home of the civil rights movement, and they use this phrase, um, what is it? Atlanta too busy to hate. Oh, yeah, the city too yeah, busy to too, hate. Yeah, too busy to hate. I, I just think that Atlanta might be a little bit more not as aggressive with that. From, from watching from afar the, the, the action in the cities that you mentioned, there was a different sense of uh, urgency. Correct. And I think that word urgency, I always kind of come back to that because we're sitting in this, in this gallery uh, in this big window where we are watching everyday people doing everyday <laughs> right. things and we're seeing people living life and I think in a way that you want to see um, so there's not a sense of, of urgency when we look outside Right. but I do think that um, maybe when we get outside into some of these other neighborhoods outside of the city is what I'm trying to say mm-hmm. um, that there's still not the same level of intensity intensity that you that, that you mentioned that you witnessed in other cities, um, and I'm not sure if 
you know, thinking about 1960 now, and maybe where a movement starts, right. because a lot of the movements that you talked about or the cities that, that you mentioned, they're experiencing things real time. Maybe there's not the same legacy of civil rights right. activism in those cities, so there's not a lineage to even start from in the same way. So you just kind of wing it and you, you just get out there and whatever happens, happens. I think here there is a legacy. There are people who you, who you maybe talk to first before you decide to do something. Maybe there's an established protocol or people who you check in with, or maybe you can figure out some things relationship-wise because there, there are black mayors, there are black city council people. Maybe you can achieve some of those changes behind the scenes if you're, you know, if you're plugged in. So maybe that fosters a little bit of an indirect approach rather than rallying on city hall steps in the same way. No, don't, don't get me wrong, though. The young people here did. Um, they shut down Martin Luther King Parade in 2015. Okay, okay. Um, they shut down the highways when back-to-back um, Philando, um, what is it? Castillo. Castillo mm-hmm. and Alton Sterling, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was in Baton Rouge at the time. And when I came back for seven days, they marched because it got to a point, how much more can you take? And that's when I saw a lot more diversity of whites and other, um, it was a lot of students that came out at that time. So I'm not saying that that's not the level of it, but I think within those cities, like when I, especially when I went to Baltimore, mm-hmm. and I've been to Detroit, I felt like I was in a third world country. I swear, I feel, I mean, when I got out of the car, the police station is right in the middle of the community, and it, you, you just have to go and see it. And I was so amazed. I wasn't actually photographing the people. I started photographing the landscape and got totally cursed out by the people in the community the saying that they didn't want me here, white folks here are the media here because the only time when you come into these communities is when you want to talk about something negative. So I think Atlanta, like you said, based on this is the home of the civil rights movement, it's done a little bit different. But these young people here actually took over when they they had the hashtag Reclaim My Luther King and the elders were totally upset when they took over the parade. And Mm. you didn't hear about that in the news actually. So you mentioned getting some pushback when you were going into neighborhoods. Right. And I think back to this exhibition and Rusty Miller actually, Rusty Miller obviously had access to, you know, to go into these neighborhoods, to get up close and personal, to get intimate with a lot of these uh, subjects. Can you talk about from Miller's perspective, but also maybe even from from yours, what are those conversations like when you go into someone's neighborhood with your camera, with the intent mm-hmm. to document? What what do you? How do you start the conversation so that you don't offend them? Right, that's a good question. I can't speak for Rusty Miller because I don't know what was going on with him, but it seems like he had compassion. But what I've noticed in the imagery is I see him more engaged with the young people versus the older people. When I look at those, it's more of a distance between that. So I don't know how he went about 
you know, going in in the community. But I know for myself, like example, when I went into West Baltimore, I do not start photographing. I try to engage with the people in the community and talk with them. It's just like the example when I um, got cursed out and tell me to get the hell out. Um, I said, look, because you have to think fast on your feet. I was like, look, I'm from the home of the Civil Rights Movement, and I'm here to help. I want to tell our narrative. I want to claim our narrative. And the, it was a, a, a young guy and a, and, and a woman, and they looked at me, and they just bowed their head and said, yes. And then the woman came up to me and said, I tell you the truth. She said, I just got out of jail. And she says, do you have any money? And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I don't have any money, but I can give you a hug. And we hug and we cry. I get emotional. So at that point, I, as an observer, has become a participant, okay? Because I want to know, I want to hear... I mean, I've seen the sorrows, I've seen the hurt, the pain, you know? When it comes to black bodies, I believe that we don't really realize how traumatized that we have been since we've been brought over here into this country. And it's unconsciously so, and it's going throughout generation through generation through generation. It's like, for example, Rusty Miller images, it just seemed like all this, in, it was in period of 60s and 70s, that was the civil rights up into the black power movement but when you see these images it's like they're happy they're fine you know but we have learned to wear the faces the two-faced the duality that W. Du Bois was talking about yeah I want to touch on something that, that you mentioned earlier uh, you mentioned that there was a rapper in Ferguson who was advocating for people to to be to be active and to get out and vote. Right, tough, tough call, yeah. And you have a history photographing hip hop artists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> deep in your in your uh, your uh, backstory. Right. Um. And I'm curious when it comes to seeing hip hop artists as as leaders, whether they want to be or not, whether that's expected of them or not. But I would love your perspective on how you see. The role of the MC as not just an artist, but also as someone who is expected to be a leader in the community in some instances. Not everyone, but there are some, you know, examples of that. When you when you see that, what is your response and what is your your expectation? First of all, I don't have any expectations, but I can tell you this. When it comes to a rapper, or I, I can put myself into it, I feel overwhelmed now because it feels like I'm the one, I'm in this now, and that I'm speaking for everybody. And I mean, I, I'm, I can't speak for all of the African-American community. And I feel that rappers cannot do that either. I know that I came up in a period of gangster rap where you had Tupac, Notorious Big, where they were the voice. They actually, to me, was the next civil rights movement because they were talking about what was going on in the communities, like NWA. They were talking about police brutality, all of that back then. I mean, I had the opportunity to photograph Scarface with Rap-A-Lot Records, and his album that 
in which he didn't name it this, he called it Here Come the White Sheets, okay? And I feel back then they felt that, I'm not going to say that it was their responsibilities, they wanted to let the world know what was really going on in these communities and taking it from a, not from a visual point like me photographing, but from where they could get their message out because you didn't have all of this Instagram and Facebook back then to the world. But one thing that, and if I'm saying this correctly, Tupac said, he thought that if he would rap about what was going on in the communities, that would uplift the people to help them get out more. But it didn't, it glorified it. So what do you do then? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do then? I I really admire um, Kendrick Lamar because he goes, he stays true to his heart. It's not about him rapping about the bling bling or I'm, you know, I got this whatever, you know, they're rapping about now. And I'm not knocking that. But what I'm saying is that he was, his music, was the theme when I was shooting on the ground was we're going to be all right you know and that last album CD that album that he had is be humble you know he's talking about that universally so okay and he's a very humble person so I think that he knows and he's very conscious that he has to speak from his heart because he lived that Okay, he actually lived that, and he's speaking to the people, and not just these Munich communities or marginalized communities. He's speaking to the world, and he's got the what is it the the uh, the uh, Pulitzer? Yeah, yeah, Pulitzer Prize. And I I, I, I like that because he's staying true to the game, actually. So as we wrap up, um, I think about your work. I think about this exhibition that we're currently surrounded by right now, and. Well, more so deeper into into your work, you know, from the Suburbia series, from the Plastic Body series, to the 1960 Now series, um, up to whatever you're working on currently. I know you have a book in the works. Um, I, I'm always interested in the level of intimacy that I believe that you get with your photography. Even with the Plastic Bodies, there's a level of, of up-close and personalness <laughs> that right. someone gets from that. What, is, what does that mean to you, um, the level of intimacy that you try to foster or pull out from the subjects that you capture? I think it comes back from my childhood. Um, I lived in Germany in my earlier years, and I'm just thinking back right now. Mm -hmm. Is When I was young um, in Germany, my mother, we would ride the train, and people that was always around us, you know, they were speaking their language. And they were asking my mother, can they touch our hair and touch our skin? And as a child, I didn't understand that. And I was wondering why they wanted to touch our skin and our hair. So moving up now, I think I've always had a curiosity, had a curiosity of why people look at people differently. You know, and I think that plays a lot in my work. I'm very respectful of people. If you will not let me photograph you, I will not photograph you, even if I'm on the ground. It's like when I was on the ground um, going to these different cities photographing the protest. I wasn't out. The reason why I went to the ground because I was actually doing a body of work 
of the unknown um, members of the civil rights movement, the ones that we don't know about. And I started photographing them and it really opened my mind because I'm like, wow, we only learn about the civil rights movement in the books and I never heard these stories at all, okay? And so when Trayvon Martin happened and I was in the studio photographing, I said, I gotta go to the ground to find out what's really going on with these young people. They were, it was like, it was like a birth of a, 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 of a new civil rights movement, if I could say it like that. I mean, they were doing die-ins and they were like, we're not gonna take it this more. So when I go to the ground, I go and I talk and I communicate to the people. Okay, because I really want to know what's going on, you know, because our what we hear in the media, traditional media, is 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 sound bites, okay, of what they want you to hear. But now since we have these smartphones, we could look at it totally different. But I think we're becoming numb to it. So for me as an artist, I really I really want to get into the psyche of the people and see what's going on. Because people come to me all the time and they said, well, Sheila, since you've had that experience, what can we do to help these communities? And I'm, I'm very real with them. And I tell them this, it's not about putting the money in the communities because if you don't change the mindset, things are gonna stay the same. And I think it really has to do with trauma, terror, anxiety, and stress. And we have to deal with it basically on a mental level now. I really do, and it's about self-care. And I think that's where we need to start. Sheila Prebright, thank you for your time and your words. Let everyone know how they can stay in contact with you or just follow whatever you're working on. Yes, um, in October I will be doing the book tour of, of 1960 Now series and I, I will kick it off in New York at Aperture Gallery so you can follow me at She Pre Bright. That's one of my IGs. And my other IG for um, the book tour is 1960 Now. Sheila Pre Bright. And thank you so much, Floyd. Thank you for your time. <laughs> okay. This was great. Uh huh.